Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. This is Joe. That's Evan. Evan, you want to say hello? Hello. Ooh, that was sounding like Robert Goulet. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I didn't mean it to. Uh, I don't yeah. know for all those uh, youngins out there. Our audience is probably you know young. Uh, Robert Goulet uh, was he's like made fun of on Saturday Night Live. And he's like Robert <laughs> when, Goulet. He just when Steve Martin was on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a long time ago. Um, Robert Goulet was like one of the crooners, but a very lesser known crooner during the time of the Rat Pack kind of deal he was on the tail end of that uh, no pun intended and uh, he his he was just so schmarmy in the way that he sang he's like hello <laughs> it's basically ron burgundy was based on uh robert goulet yeah and then fun fact i am third cousins with robert goulet whoa yeah i'm related been, to robert goulet you buried the lead there i did fame runs in the family <laughs> <laughs> Robert Goulet, I'm third cousins with him, and uh, I think he actually died. So, oh, uh, I knew a guy who was first cousins with uh, Rico Suave. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's an incredible. Uh, yeah. So we have a special episode this time. It's kind of like an end of the year wrap up. So we're going to be talking about um, this uh, this article called 2022 uh, Golden Year um, for JavaScript and. Um, yeah, so that that's gonna be that's gonna be it. We're kind of talking, you know, it's the it's the end of the year, it's December. Uh, I'm reading all the best of 2022 stuff. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you already said the article before we push the what are you reading button? Uh, well, we're, we're not talking about what we're reading yet. Oh, we're not talking about what we're, Joe. What are you reading? Oh, whoa. going well <laughs> um i mean i had stuff to talk about before what we're reading so ma- <laughs> oh. maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll cut this maybe we'll cut this part out uh or maybe we'll not. do we'll, we'll we'll do the article and then we'll do a special oh, like uh 2022 it. fireside chat section uh, oh that's uh, good before good news okay sounds great um yeah so I, i'm gonna do the tldr this week so we're reading the uh the goal it's 2020 <laughs> 2020 2020 <laughs> oh no uh, don't uh, listen to this everybody turn back now that's right it's 2022 a golden year as javascript moves to the edge okay so uh so this article is kind of a look back at what's going on in javascript this year um has a couple of sections so we talk about JavaScript moving to the edge with uh, things like Cloudflare, Cloudflare, and Deno um, talks about uh, static pages. Um, so the, the beginning of the end for static pages, uh, and uh, all the jo- all the uh, JavaScript frameworks that are m- making their way around uh, nowadays in 2022. So we have like you know Next.js is uh, I think kind of the main one, but also uh, the uh, Remix is the the new the new game in town, and then talk about a bunch of other frameworks um, and then uh, ECMAScript. So what's what's new in ECMAScript at the, at the very end of this? That's the TLDR. Yeah, I love the term golden year because I used to play a game called Civilization uh, back in the day. It's a computer game. It's, a, it's called a 4X. You like build an empire and all this stuff. And it, you could trigger a golden year by doing a bunch of amazing stuff. Like you had science, you had all these things. All golden years and all empires always like predict the downfall, you know? So one thing I'd like to say is golden year in JavaScript, but there is a nemesis lurking in JavaScript. Uh, there's actually two nemesi, two nemesi, nemeses. Um, there's an infection in JavaScript and it's called TypeScript. And I think that I do worry about this golden year is great. We, we're, we're advancing. We're pushing JavaScript to the edge. We can talk about all this stuff, but TypeScript is continuing to pick up steam, and I think it's going to be the ruination of the language. The other thing is the the aging, dying uh, empire of React, which is uh, it's continu- It's very big, 
it's like 80% of all whatever JavaScript, I think they said 78% is all uh, React at this point. And I am, I'm starting to think React is, we're looking at the end of the Roman Empire. Uh, it's it's going to split apart soon and spiral into nothingness. So that's my yeah. fun take. All that right, wrap it up, everybody. Take. That's it for the show. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fun, fun take. Let's uh, let's get to to JavaScript. Let's talk. I mean, let's get to React. Uh, and but let's start with JavaScript goes to the edge. Um, so this this part of the the article talks about yeah, Deno and Cloudflare and just the edge in general. So we mentioned V eight isolates uh, last time, and the edge. So Deno, I think, is the is the like main. Edge framework that's running on V8 Isolate. So, what is a V8 Isolate? Uh, it's uh, it's basically like an instance of Chrome, uh, uh, or it's the, it's the JavaScript engine from Chrome and running that as a server. So, it's a lot like smaller and more lightweight. So, when we talk about the Edge, that's part of it is is just running jobs running a server uh, at the at the Edge. So, like uh, the Edge is 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 uh, I think about it. Typically, as kind of geographically, it's like it's what we think of as like CDN. So uh, you have these servers that are all over the world, and when you deploy, your deploy goes out all over the world, and so you get this kind of no matter where you are in the world, in the world, uh, you get uh, a fast response. That's you know what I think of as the edge. And then there are all these technologies that that enable that. Yeah, the, we actually talked about this in our performance episode a little bit. We were talking about CDN and edge computing and stuff like that. Um, there's a whole bunch of products out there that are really cool. Uh, I, like I'm from the Amazon world at this point. So I think about AWS world where you have uh, lambdas and then there's like a whole world within lambdas and you can do more and more on uh, these sort of like edge functions or, or rather like uh, ser deployed servers in all these different places because they're, they're getting more efficient and you're getting more feature rich. Uh, so I think it's pretty cool. Like, you know, being able to use, um, in some work things, you know, we use basically you can run next, you know, your next server on instances that are all over the place, um, which I think is you know you're getting like a lot of speed improvement as opposed to it used to be you would have your droplet or whatever it was like running in the East Coast somewhere in a data center. So if you were getting a request from Bangalore, it was traveling like. 8,000 miles to just round trip or something like that. So it is cool to be able to run not just CDNs, which is sort of like just static uh, static assets, but you can run uh, like full server environments or at least close to full server environments. V8 isolates are less feature rich, right? They're they're like small instances of things. Um, yeah, it's basically so just you can, an instance of Chrome. So it's not like a, it's not its own operating system. It's just an instance of Chrome that's running on the server. So yeah, it's, it's a lot more wild. limited. Yeah, I know it is kind of wild. I'm um, thinking about like ECS Fargate instances and stuff, which is it's basically like a full server that, but you can run it from tons of different uh, distri distributions, like run from lots of different areas. That's yeah. what I was thinking about Edge. I haven't even, I haven't gotten into personally V8 isolates. I don't even know. I haven't either, really. I mean, I, I know like the general idea and I know that there, there are like some limitations to them. Like, you know, you can't, for example, I don't think you can access the file system. So like, that's like, you know, you don't have the full suite of node, uh, native node, packages so so there are limitations to using v8 isolates but i think if you if you like you know part of moving to the edge is leaning into that uh that kind of like paradigm and if you do that then there's a lot of stuff you don't really need to to include in node and so you're or you know you, you don't need the full a full node server uh and so then you can just whatever you can do data persistence with databases and and you know the, you can you can kind of it, it gets you to not have to think about a whole a whole segment of node. This is um, this is probably gonna make me sound stupid, but I I think I'm missing a piece. Like we're pushing more. This sort of gets into the next section about like you know less on static side, less on static site generation and deeper into server side rendering. Server side rendering to me requires like fairly robust server environments to do it. Uh, I don't think you can run, I don't think you can like server-side render a React app from a Chrome instance. Um, that, can well, you? I, I don't know. <laughs> that's a good That's a good question too, because uh, I, I don't know why you wouldn't 
be able to necessarily, but like, you know, cause really server-side rendering a React app is, is you're, you're calling like render to string. So you're basically taking all of your React components and running them through uh, React, you know, which is, which is like, uh, ha- has been imported from a, from a node module and you are calling React render to render to string. And the output is the HTML that would come from all of your components. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure You'd, it's, you don't need, for example, the file system for that, but like if your components fetch data, they would need to, uh, fetch that data while you're rendering while you're server side rendering. Um, so the, they would either fetch it or you can have you, you can tell your service side renderer not to fetch that data so it gets fetched on the client side. There are different things you could do. But I think that, yeah, I don't think there's anything uh, that you couldn't do in a Chrome instance. Well, I think, the- um, yeah, that makes sense. But could, should you? Right. Um, so I think about uh, the performance impact of doing something like that. And and by that, I mean like raw performance. Chrome, whatever like your little Chrome V8 isolate can't be very powerful from an actual uh, com- compute power perspective. Maybe I'm missing something there, but if you have like a half a gig of RAM, uh, you know, on a Chrome instance and it's like maximum certain amount of storage, like you're going to choke on large apps um, or at least that render to string might take a really long time. Whereas if you've got some Excel box or something like that, you know, you would, uh, you know, 10 gigs of RAM, it's going to blast through it and, you know, uh, 15 milliseconds or something. So that would also, that I'd just be interested to think about how you re- like square that up where if you've got um, conspicuously large uh, React apps running through some Chrome instance on a cell tower somewhere on the edge, like, how does that work? But um I don't know. Yeah, there's, just, it, there's a lot of learning to do here. Totally, it's it's interesting because I don't know the answer either. I don't. I, I would think the same thing. I would think if you, I don't know if it's like one isolate instance per uh, per edge instant. Like I don't know if it's a one to one or if it's like one one edge server can run many Chrome isolates. And if that's the or you know many V8 isolates, and if that's the case, then yeah, you would think you would run into CPU bottlenecks because that's kind of one of the big bottlenecks for server-side rendering is like you run into CPU issues because yeah. you're, yeah, you're trying to trying to like output the, all this React code to a string. I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, maybe maybe next week we'll we'll do a what are you learning on V8 isolates? Yeah, I do. I have to learn something. This is literally like you said this last episode and I nodded and smiled and then uh, wept at home for another thing that I didn't know. <laughs> well, I, I also said it like I knew what it like knew all about it. I knew, I've heard the term before, but I don't know a ton about V8 isolates, you know. And it's so what's interesting to me, I think getting back to this kind of like uh, uh, this the topic of this article is like this is something that has been around for quite a while. I mentioned last week on the show, I was like, oh yeah, this is like a new, the new thing, but it's not new. It's been around for a long time. It's just that like you, I've been hearing it much more uh, this year, I think because Deno has been primarily using it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just, it, it's interesting how things can have this sort of like, they, they uh, all of a sudden they're in the, in the zeitgeist. It is also uh, interesting to note, this is in the new stack.io it's in front end develop. It's like under the front end development uh, section of articles, and then it's about like a big chunk about why it's a golden year for JavaScript is because of edge computing. So yeah. it's it's sort of again, it just is like this tickling thing to me where it's more and more of infrastructure productionized, like building production level conceptual thinking for front enders. Like the the scope just continues to grow, partly because it is a golden year for JavaScript, meaning. We get it's more more server environments, you know, more complexity all over the place. So if you used to just FTP files into a box somewhere, you know, from for your GoDaddy domain, <laughs> like they figured it out for you. Yeah. Now you're like optimizing your edge computing. So it's I mean, just that's how, yeah, that's how I wild. still work. I still just throw files on a. I use Cyberduck to throw my F, my my files on an FTP. Nice <laughs> Cyberduck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, that's a really interesting point that like, why is this one of the top topics in a bit, what appears to be a front end article? Uh, I think that actually leads into the next section, which is the beginning of the beginning of the end for static pages. And it's like, 
the reason why front end engineers kind of have to think about uh, uh, things like edge computing and some of the infrastructure that happens there is because we're not just writing client side code anymore. We're not just writing JavaScript that's like either, I mean, for one thing, we're not just writing JavaScript that just runs in the browser, period, like without any kind of compilation stuff. Now we have to run a build step. You don't have to, but like really, you know, like you, you're running in the most case a build step. And instead of having that just be shipped to the client, uh, there's all in in most cases nowadays, and we'll talk about this more with the, with the framework section. Um, you are running something on the server, uh, and and some sort of because a lot of this stuff is is personalized. Uh, you're serving personalized content, and so you want to get that personalized content to the user as quickly as possible. And a big part of that is rendering it on the server with the person's information, you know, with like their, their avatar and, and their, you know, their name, whatever, um, giving them that in the initial HTML, which requires rendering it on the server. Yeah. I love the, um, the title of this section is the beginning of the end for static pages. And they're referencing a talk by Swix, Sean Wang. And he just said, uh, Wang contended that the static side generation, that static side generation is basically dead in a talk at Reactathon. And in my mind, I uh, I heard like, and Gatsby gently weeps. Because it's like, you know, there was such a bet on static side generation. Yeah. Uh, and now we're definitely moving away. Although I can't, you know, when I hear like, is basically dead or when something's dead, this is dead. I just can't help but it's like, I don't know, man, it just I bums know. me out. It bums me out. It's a way to, I know it's a way to generate uh, clicks and reads and stuff like that. Now, there's, there's still, I guarantee probably a million websites that are going to use Gatsby or something yeah. and still yeah. statically site, still statically generate stuff. I'm also not going to go to like server side rendering for a blog. Um, right. Either like ser- server side rendering is just a bazooka. You know, you don't need it. I, I bazooka is also not what it's called. Um, so that's <laughs> such a dumb term, but I said it anyways, cause it's what everybody thinks about. It's just too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do it every time. Yeah, I think that idea that like something, you know, server, server, uh, SSG, service, static, uh, static side generation, static site generation is, is dead. Uh, I think that's like, you know, it, it's, it's, um, I think it's probably true somewhat in, in especially things like e commerce, you know, in certain, uh, segments of the front end community and the front end, uh, industry, especially. Um, but like people building s- side projects and stuff like, people building personal sites like i think static site generation is like there's there's plenty there it's really hyper focused on these companies who need to serve personalized content uh, as fast as possible cut as as many milliseconds off of that as they can but really that does translate into what's marketable skills because if you're on the front end and you don't know anything about server side rendering i do think it's going to put you in a in in like a weaker position it just Ask um, ChatGPT; it'll it'll figure it out for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the next section is funny. It's a little Oprah shout out, and it just says, "You get a framework, and you get a framework." And um, this is talking about the again the continued proliferation of JavaScript frameworks. They talk about React again, which is not exactly a JavaScript framework, but it's like the foundation of a lot of frameworks. It's at seventy one percent usage. Um, in the community, I don't exactly know all the data behind that, but then there, you know, there's the launch of Fresh. We we talked about Quick in a, an earlier episode. Um, Remix. They actually, I think, they went to full V1 release of Redwood, that which was in uh, beta for a super long time. Um, so we just keep getting more frameworks. Yeah, I, I took a couple of minutes and wrote down the, all the frameworks I could think of uh, before the show today. And there that came out or that at least launched like V1 in 2022. It's some of the ones you mentioned. So like uh, uh, Remix, uh, I forgot about uh, I forgot about Redwood. We can talk about that in a sec. But yeah, Remix, Fresh, uh, Bun. Well, so Bun is not a not a framework, but like Bun had like made a big splash this year. Um Astro JS, Solid JS, oh, yeah, yeah. I think Solid JS actually had their V one or uh, no. So I think Solid JS is the one that's not quite at V one yet. But like Solid JS got got no no no. I'm sorry. Solid JS was at V one, but it was like back in 2021. But I think that they have been a topic of a lot of conversation because they fit into the same slot as 
as a lot of the frameworks that we're talking about, Remix and um, and Astrode Fresh and all these. Next.js 13 was released in 2022, which brought out um, server components, like kind of as uh, public beta, I guess I would say, of server components. I don't know that, that it was really the... Um, the I don't know that server components are officially supported, but Next 13 allows you to use them. Um, Turbo Repo, technically at the end of 2021. Uh, and then HTMX, which is also mentioned in this article, which uh, is, again, another one of these frameworks like SolidJS, which is uh, n- didn't come out. I think it's that's the one that's still below V1, but uh, has gotten a lot of talk lately because it's, again, similar spaces, some of these other things. Yeah, and HTMX particularly was called out um, as uh, potentially an unseater of JavaScript because HTMX pushes a lot of syntax back into HTML. Uh, We did an episode on this like way back, um, Mm -hmm. one of our earlier episodes, which is probably rough, but you could go listen to it. (laughs) Um, I think it was like two or three. Yeah, they call out right in the beginning. They're saying like JavaScript again had a golden year, another bumper crop year, but there's rising stars, like potential uh, projects that could unseat it like WebAssembly and HTMX framework um, that might unseat JavaScript from its throne. We'll see, but it was interesting to see HTMX even included. And WebAssembly is another interesting one. I, you know, what was the, there, uh, there's three things in my, or two things in my mind that keep popping up that are like, oh, I should have learned those and then happy that I didn't. One was WebAssembly because it's it's been years and years and it still has like limited use case. And then the other one is Houdini. Um, I don't know if you remember Houdini. <laughs> no, I didn't even know who, what Houdini is. Houdini is, they were, they were, it's a project to expose CSS primitives. So you can write, you know, when you write like background color red, you could expose the actual like pixel um, rendering framework of the browser and write your own CSS methods. Hmm. So you can still do this now, but it never picked up steam. And it's like the browsers were right. We're, uh, we're releasing Houdini, which is just a way to write your own CSS classes. You could literally, you had access to all the underlying uh, primitive API for the browser to affect the paint of the browser. And I was like, I remember all these people coming out shot tech show and being like, Houdini's the future. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to be able to do anything. You're going to turn the browser basically into a gaming engine. Like you could do anything that you want. And then no one understood how it worked. <laughs> like, it's so complicated and such a power user feature. Same with WebAssembly. It's still like, it's, it's just funny to see these here. Yeah. I mean, WebAssembly, I think is a different story because WebAssembly is, I, I do think there were a couple for, for a while, everyone was like, WebAssembly is just going to take over. It's going to take over JavaScript yeah. and, and, uh, you know, we, we're going to be writing our websites in C++ all the time now. And like that didn't happen, but, uh, certainly WebAssembly has, uh, ha- I think it has found like a number of use cases that are like, at least in my mind, they're fairly high profile, like, uh, um, uh, Google Figma. Earth. Yeah, Figma. Yeah, that's a good example. And Google Earth, uh, had, like they, their whole thing is is um, written in WebAssembly. And it's like, it solves these really specific cases where you need something that is uh, heavy CPU intensive. Um, it, it's it just, I think it solves a different use case than JavaScript. I think people thought it was going to take over JavaScript, but like JavaScript is so easy to get up and running with that, you know, writing uh, something in Rust or C++, you're not going to like get something on the screen in your browser in 30 seconds with uh, when you need to like write some Rust and then compile it to WebAssembly and then in- include that. You still need JavaScript. You still need to include JavaScript on the page, even even when you're using WebAssembly. Um, but uh, but yeah, like, oh, and uh, AssemblyScript, that's, to me, that's a really interesting one because you can write Java, you can write uh, WebAssembly, something that compiles to Web- WebAssembly in a TypeScript adjacent language. So it's like, it's not TypeScript, but uh, AssemblyScript, looks a lot like TypeScript, but it uh, it compiles to, to WebAssembly. So anyway, WebAssembly is kind of an interesting one for me to, to think about. No, I love WebAssembly. And if you haven't looked at the Google Earth project, <laughs> it is like a stunning achievement. Uh, it's crazy. In, in web, what's possible on the internet. So I love WebAssembly. I just remember thinking there was a time when I thought like, I'm going to get left in the dust because yeah. I don't know WebAssembly and I don't know like I didn't know, I don't know C++, so I'm like, I'm screwed or whatever it was, you know, whatever you're writing WebAssembly in. So um, 
I remember having a, a huge fear moment and I'm actually re that fear moment is reemerging right now with two things. And uh, uh, actually this is off topic, so I won't go deep. One is <laughs> this chat or like AI in general that I feel like everybody around me is now in a rocket ship of uh, like an AI powered rocket ship um, with Copilot or Whisper, and, you know, and open AI. And then the other one is like rust that I feel like yeah. I'm getting dusted. Rust dust. Yeah. I know uh, it's going to be I, rust or go. Yeah. Yeah. Go, I don't think is ever going to go anywhere uh, just partly because it's Google. And I think Google has now um, really lost too much trust. Like I just like, I don't know that I would trust a Google project for anything at this point, just huh. because so much of Google has been deprecated or changed mm, or broken. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember someone did like this piece on all the different names of what like Google Meet has been. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> like, they talked about that on uh, either Shop Talk or, or yeah, or I Sid think it was Tech. Shop yeah, Talk show, and it funny. was like horrendously long. Anyway, so I think Go is probably awesome. I don't know, whatever. But Rust seems to be the winner because it's open source. Yeah, well, no, Go is open source too. So like Go, no, but it's was, powered by Google though. Like it it's was Google's it was, project. Yeah, yeah, it was originally a Google project, and then it was open sourced. And, so it's like uh, open source wink. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is funny how there's these two camps. There's like the Go camp and the Rust camp. It feels like anyway. I don't know. I maybe this is just from my my limited perspective, but it's pretty interesting because I I see those two languages as like solving different different cases. But there's a lot of overlap, and I think there's more overlap than than people uh, originally thought. Maybe. Yeah. I, well, TLDR are going to pick up Rust. Uh, I've I've dabbled in it enough times, but then my day job is like keeping me very busy. So I haven't really spent a ton of time on it, but I got to do it because I'm scared. Uh, it's super easy. It's just super, it's like picking, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's no, not, it's definitely not. Easy. not. <laughs> it's, it's not something you just pick up at like the drop of a hat, but uh, yeah. Um, let's see. So yeah, so Redwood, oh, I, I want, actually I wanted to talk about, yeah, I'll talk about Redwood for a quick second because that was an interesting one that I was surprised to see on this, this best of 2022, not because it's a bad project, but because I heard about Redwood a lot for like three weeks and then I didn't hear anything about it for the rest of the year. I remember when, um, the, they say his name, uh, Tom Preston Warner was going on all the podcasts and talking about Redwood and talking about how they just released V1. And, um, and, you know, it's, it was kind of a different, uh, again, like a different paradigm where it's, it's much more about like, it's kind of edge first. Cause I think it uses like fauna DB, which is a distributed database. Um, and it was like very GraphQL first and, and he was on a bunch of shows and then I literally have not heard the words Redwood JS since I, whenever it was released, I think it was, I didn't know it was t- released this year, but, um, but yeah, I haven't heard about it like since probably January, if it was if it was released in January. Yeah, Redwood. Uh, gosh, two years ago, year ago, two years ago, I remember there was a lot of chatter about it. It's probably the same time you're thinking of it. It's like uh, Tom Preston Warren did the rounds and a bunch of podcasts and talked about Redwood. I did a fun like toy project in Redwood, um, where it was like a RPG game that was really fun to, it was like, I just remember having a good time in the project. It was super cool. The amount of generation that you got, you just, it it felt like Ruby on rails to me, um, where you'd be like new page. And then it just builds all this stuff for you. (laughs) So I I thought that was super cool. Uh, it's been so long though. I kind of want to go back and mess around again with it. Cause I did like that paradigm. I actually liked rails back in the, you know, I, like I spent time in rails for a, a year or two and I liked it. So I like how much they give you. It's very opinionated. I, I like that. So it was fun. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've, I, I've never really, you know, as far as I can remember, I've never really worked in a super opinionated framework. So I should try it out. I should, you know, I like took a look at Django for a little bit and I was like messing around with that, but I've never used that in a professional setting. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's just a really different model when you're working with batteries included framework that is very opinionated about everything it does. I think in some ways that's really nice because it takes a lot of the choice out of it for you. You don't need to think about, oh, which, you know, which routing uh, library do I use or, or whatever do I use? Right. Do I use GraphQL REST? And, um, so that's, that's a nice thing about it. Um, speaking of Django, uh, so HTMX, getting back to that for a second, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is like our take on, on HTMX was basically like, oh, I don't know about this one. I'm surprised at how much people are still talking about it and that it made this list of, uh, of like 2022 uh, a look back. 
I think because like it still to me when I when I see it and I'm, I I guess I get HTMX and um, HyperScript like conflated because those are the two that are that are like really kind of deeply connected. But I think of it as like a Python language and nothing I've heard has changed that opinion because whenever I hear people talking about HTMX, it's like they're writing Python and they're like, HTMX is great because I can just write all this stuff on in my Python backend in my like Django framework. I've, I don't know if people are still using Django as much as they were, but in my Python backend and, uh, and it just works on the front end. And I'm like, okay, that's great if you're writing Python, but like, what if you're not writing Python? Yeah, I still think I stand by that take. Um, yeah. There was like, the what is it the description of why they made htmx was to solve problems i have it right here why should only a tags and form tags be able to make http requests why should only click and submit events trigger them why should only get and post methods be available and then i think like this sounds like an infomercial also it's fine <laughs> Uh, why mm-hmm. should only a inform tags because it'll break everything if you do other yeah. stuff <laughs> also why are you making http requests you know from your html like it there i i don't know yeah uh that that alone it's funny to ex- to to think about expanding on what originally was just a workaround like mm-hmm. that that your form uh, you're, you're like talking internet 1990s that your form makes an HTTP post request because there was no other way. Like, you know, mm-hmm. JavaScript wasn't really a thing uh, at that point. So it's like now you have this language that can handle all that for you. So you're like, oh, let's let's go double down on this shitty thing that we did. <laughs> uh, I know it's not shitty, but it is sort of like, why, are we, why do you want more of that? Like, why do you mm-hmm. want more raw http requests coming from your html i don't know mm-hmm. seems yeah silly. it's I, I agree i don't really see i'm not seeing the forest for the trees i guess but based on what i'm hearing about it and the fact that it's still in the topic of, of conversations in in other places that i've listened to uh it's a thing i guess people people are, are liking it so that's interesting but why so why make there why make html more more powerful that's the goal let's make html more powerful and I wish you could make HTML less powerful because mm. it's HTML is, I've always described it as like, um, if you look at a newspaper, you know, it's, that's the newspaper is HTML. It's like a heading, paragraphs, an image. It's just describing the bones. And to add more stuff to that um, seems like a bad idea. Anyways, I'll stop on this because HTMX is not what this episode's about. <laughs> um, let's see. The, uh, so... I, I was like, um, I, I, I was like when I see Kelsey Hightower in a an article because like, man, that guy has uh, he is a smart guy. He actually came to our work uh, a couple of years ago, and and I watched him give a talk, and I was like, wow, this guy's. Uh, I want to know more about this guy. So anyway, so he says uh, it's unlikely we've seen the end of new JavaScript frameworks. Um, says Kelsey Hightower, a Google distinguished engineer and frequent conference speaker. Uh, it's it's basically he's saying his take on this is that like there's there's never going to be an end of new JavaScript frameworks because we as humans uh, want to hear something new. Like we're we're interested in novelty, and uh, you know I think that th- this is my opinion now, but I think that's kind of a double edged sword. I do think that we are always drawn to novelty, but I think it can it can kind of like burn us it make there's a it means that there's always going to be a lot of churn in this stuff and javascript for whatever reason for the past 10 15 maybe even 20 years has been uh kind of shown that again and again that there's there's this constant refreshing of what's going on in javascript there's also a constant refreshing of demand uh of, of what we're required to do uh so i think that's part of it i think javascript is getting the rap for it because it is the language of the web at this point, for better or for worse. Um, but the demands on what a web developer, what a web application has to do now have changed a lot. Uh, just because the like the platform has changed. You're talking, it's now phones and iPads, browsers now, V8 isolates. Like the, yep. the platform, the substrate it runs in has changed like dr- dramatically and continues to change over the years. Uh, and then even what apps are asked to do has changed a lot. Yeah, 
I was going to say people want a whole native app in their browser. Like that, yeah. that's, that ask is probably the reason why we have so much, you know, in, if you look at it negatively, if you look at it pessimistically, you can call it churn. If you look at it optimistically, you could call Innovation. it, you know, uh, it was Innovation. Innovation. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. Innovation. Yeah. So, uh, it kind of just depends on which, which side of the coin you're looking at. Um, the last, or did you have anything else you want to say about that? I want to no, I, the side of the coin that I look at it is how tired I am that day. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, when I'm not tired, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. We're in the golden age of JavaScript. And then if I'm really tired, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I got you know, that's an attitude problem. Well, I, I think, I mean, I definitely have that attitude problem on some days too. I think everybody does. I guess if there's one thing I could say about it, it's like, it's all JavaScript, uh, you know, except for HTMX, I guess. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it's all JavaScript. And so it is, you know, there is a fair amount of churn, but it's all based on this language. So as long as you like continually deepening your understanding of JavaScript and really of like programming languages, I don't know, that's my take on it. You're going to be it's going to be harder for you to get left in the dust like you like you said earlier yeah yeah so this last one uh the last last section here is talking about ecmascript itself so ecmascript is uh is javascript it's like ecma is the body that governs what goes into javascript and they have a, a formal process for introducing new things into javascript and uh the uh, the 2023 we're looking forward to the temporal proposal uh, and I think Evan, you probably have you probably have a bunch to say on the temporal proposal. I'm just excited about temporal proposal. Um, one reason is Moment JS has been a plague in the internet for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, no disrespect to people who made Moment, awesome right. stuff, great job. Yes. It's At, also yeah. massive, um, right? And people <laughs> people import it to do the very basic, which is like just to work with dates in javascript because they got mm -hmm. that the the uh, you know the api for working with dates in javascript is so bad uh for a lot of reasons one it's just obtuse it's very difficult to understand two it's hard to internationalize uh to, to like serve the right date three uh it's you you get dates wrong because of the javascript date api because you can have a user in like UTC time or something like that. And then you're in the East coast time. And then they, if you were to make like critical processes based on the JavaScript date API, like if you don't do this by midnight on December 22nd, we launch a missile accidentally. You'd probably launch a bunch of missiles because people <laughs> would get that wrong. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. uh, so temporal API is going to solve a lot of those problems. And hopefully when it comes out, um, it's just generally better ergonomics around date. It's going to be easier to understand dates in space, like where they are uh, in the world. So that'd be mm -hmm. nice to be able to internationalize dates for people and then get rid of MamaJS because that's like 40 KB zipped uh, yeah. on every application in the internet, probably multiple times because it's imported by other things that you use. Uh, yeah. So it'd be nice to see all that go away. Yeah, when I was early in my in my career, uh, in my JavaScript career, I was tasked with uh, like maintaining this thing that was had a lot to do with time zones or with with date date time, and specifically the part that I found the most confusing and that caused the most bugs was time zones. And so I, you know, I I I, uh, I have to like look through this temporal proposal again, but I assume that's one of the things they're aiming to solve is is like. Uh, giving you a better uh, a better handle on how to deal with time zones. There is a really there's a couple of uh, good like funny slash uh, sad uh, <laughs> like articles or videos on time on how difficult it is to work with time zones in really in programming. It's not just JavaScript, but uh, uh, we can link to those in the show notes. It's like there's one by Computer File who is like. They're great. They're a great YouTube channel. And then there's another one that's, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like basically a list of all, the, oh, I think it's like myths that programmers think are true about time zones. And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, I, I think it would, at the time it would have been great. We had to kind of like home roll our own uh, mechanism to deal with, with time zones, but it was super confusing, um, especially when you're dealing with like you know, one time zone on the server and another time zone on the client. There's like all this, all, all the, all of this, uh, like geographic stuff comes into play. 
Yeah, the temporal API, go go check it out. It's in so what's they're calling out here is it's in stage three of four stages. So it's it's looking like we're right there. Um and the API is fairly well defined. It's probably there's probably gonna be a little bit of churn between now and when you get access to it in your browser. Um and obviously we'll then have to polyfill it because it, you know, not every browser will have it and stuff. So this you know, it, the normal rules apply. Um but the big thing for me is to not go too deep, but there's plain the difference between plain date and um, like zoned dates. So time zones are a huge pain in the butt, and we didn't understand previously how JavaScript's date time API configured that and how it handled that. So you you just get like mysteries. So what's cool about Temporal is it gives the developer the ability to configure that. Uh, you can configure how that ambiguity is resolved with things like daylight savings time uh, and time zones. So you can get like a zoned instant time in the time zone and you get to configure how that works. And I think that's going to be, that's going to like help solve a bunch of uh, longstanding annoying problems with JavaScript and and make the language more, again, it's like pushing it further into legitimacy. Like JavaScript's, oh, dates are annoying. We don't have types. I hate TypeScript, but there's going to be another uh, thing that's like, you know, maybe the, the type inline TypeScript uh, RFC goes further and we get that. But then like how right. we handle dates and times will get better. Like it's just pushing the language further into a, a really robust, non, not like a fly-by-night scripting language. Some people still think it is. Yeah, I think like, you know, a lot a lot of what this is about is trying to, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not on the ECMA, uh, you know, I'm not on the ECMA, ECMA group. So I don't really know what their, what their goals are. But um, I think that some of these new things that are coming out are, are, uh, will release uh, will remove the amount of um of like transpilation you need to do so it'll remove some of the like babble steps and stuff that would be great if we could get back to a place i mean it's never going to happen because there's so much that you can do with babble plugins that are just like it would never be that 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 would never be supported by native javascript but um but yeah that that would be cool if we could get back to a place where you can do you know JSX people have, people have talked about adding JSX as like a natively supported javascript feature um but not every framework uses JSX. So if you're using something else, uh, you may not want JSX to be included in, in native JavaScript. True. Uh, so we're, we're running long here. All right. Well, that's all, that's all I had to say about, uh, I think, I think we've wrapped up this, this article. I think we wrapped it up. We were going to go into like a, uh, the fireside chat section. Cause we, I just dove us right into the article without, um, any chit chat? So that's right. Yes, yeah, so you want to do a little, a couple of minutes, uh, uh jo- jo- Joe and Evan chit chat before we go to what are you learning? Let's do it. So I, uh, I'll add a fire, a crackling fireplace, and maybe, maybe I'll see if I can find an an intro sound effect for uh for this segment. I'll pause here while I, while I think about what we can, what, uh, while I insert this in post. Um, So let's see. So one of the things I was going to talk about was, uh, you know, last week we talked about performance. And one of the things that we touched on, but we never really talked about was Lighthouse. I was thinking about that this week. You mentioned it uh, in one in one point, but I was thinking about how like Lighthouse is such a powerful tool. So Lighthouse is is. Um, in Chrome, there is a part of the DevTools called Lighthouse, and you can record whatever page you're on, and it will tell you all of these statistics about it. And it uses Google metrics, so it's not you know, 100% perfect, but those are a lot of the metrics that are driving performance in the industry, uh, the wider industry. So Lighthouse is a great tool because you can record your initial page load, and it will do a bunch of stuff behind the scenes and give you a score. It'll give you like a, a one number score, which is always good because you can kind of like do a bunch of different things to improve that. But also, it'll tell you what's behind that score and uh, all the things that you can do to to make that score better. So it'll tell you when you're using render blocking JavaScript, and it'll tell you when you're, you know, it, just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, Lighthouse is awesome, and you can uh, one pro tip with Lighthouse is when you run an audit, which is you do it right in the browser. You can actually do it in Node, too. Like uh, You can build a, uh, a Node script that runs Lighthouse a bunch of times. I did that a while back and aggregated the runs. Uh, you can export the audit locally, and you can you just have like an HTML with some styling uh, output, and it even will look at your bundle for you, which is super cool. Uh, so I like that. There's just a bunch of 
nice little tools in Lighthouse to help you generally get better at shipping JavaScript to the client. So I love Lighthouse. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, what's what's uh, what's on your mind? What's been going on with you this week? Oh, well, mea culpas. I uh, got some things wrong last week. One thing was I said that Cloudflare and other like CDNs have five, 600 points. I don't know what I was thinking. Points of presence around the world. That's not even close. It's like 100. Um, there's only like 350-something countries in the world, so I don't know why we would... <laughs> That's so I, many did, I didn't even pick pops. up on, on, on yeah I was like there's like hundreds of points of presence all over the world I think Cloudflare I looked it up Cloudflare is like a hundred uh, in, in a couple of mega pops which is like really really big data centers and uh, you know Amazon I think is like 90 100 who knows something like that but yeah I was way wrong there uh, I just wanted to call that out because if someone's like ah oh, excuse me <laughs> you got that incorrect yeah <laughs> um, and then there was well, one other if, thing. If we could get any anybody else to comment on our, on our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we should just start saying egregiously wrong things. Oh, yeah, that's that, a good idea. That, that people get involved. Um, yeah, but other I than heard, that. I, I heard Cloudflare has a, a point of presence in every county in the U.S. That's correct. Two in Middlesex County. Google it to find out why. Oh, that's not true. It, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> leave a comment to find out why. Yeah, leave um, a comment. What was your What was your second uh, mea culpa? I'm trying to remember because I re-listened to the episode and I thought, ooh, that was sketchy as well. Uh, and now I don't remember, so I must have been right. Must have been right. We're always right. We're always right on this show. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's that's probably good for the for the fireside chat. Should we jump into? What are you trending? I think I did the TLDR for the for the article this week. What uh, what are you learning? I am still learning Canvas stuff. Um, so particularly working with. Uh, so I, I talked last last episode about uh, making a Canvas operation accessible for a keyboard, and so I was looking at you know still working on that. So I'm still learning about that, particularly. Using a canvas in React without hooks, uh, without use effect in any way. Uh, so this is an interesting one. Um, part of the part of that is performance. You know, like using use effect and redrawing canvases constantly can be expensive. Um, so working how to like optimize that performance by doing everything in refs uh, instead of using use effect. So that's been a just still working on that. Nice, still still interesting. I always like thinking about about how Canvas and and React uh, interact. Um, very good. I was thinking about this before the show, and I was like, you know, we're doing a a year end twenty twenty two article. So I was thinking, what did I learn this year overall? Like instead of just what am I learning this week? And the one thing that I have never really talked about on the show maybe a little bit is, uh, is Japanese. So I've been learning Japanese. I've been spending all year learning Japanese. I've been doing it for about a year and a half. Started on uh, Duolingo. I'm still doing Duolingo, but, um, but yeah, I guess I just thought I'd talk a little bit about, about that. Cause like it's uh, uh, man, it's been such a great thing to learn. It's been so interesting for me to learn it. Um, I did a Pecha on this. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, so I, that I did that. It went well. And it just got me thinking about all of the things that I, that I've been learning. And, um, I don't know, I guess I'll just start off by saying like, I think that learning a second language or a third language or whatever is like one of the most rewarding things that you can do. Like, I just think that it's so, uh, it's so interesting to me, both from a uh, like an intellectual level of trying to learn, trying to understand new patterns and and things that are like, yeah, I guess it's mostly new patterns. And in the case of Japanese, like a totally new uh, character set, three three different character sets. Um, but also like it's it's just gives you a cultural look in, into another culture. It's like something that you can't get without learning another language. There's this like connection, a human connection element to it that is, um, that's like a whole other side to learning a language. So anyway, that's that's what I'm learning. Uh, it's been really cool. I, I was never into like um, 
manga or anime very much yet when I was younger. I think a lot of people, a lot of uh, like English speaking people get into Japanese for that reason. Uh, and that's not what kind of initially got me into it, but something got me into it and man, it has me hooked. I really like it. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, oh, I was told to tell you that or ask Emily said she fist bumped you in Duolingo. So she said, did Joe get my fist bump? I didn't get it. That's the thing about Duolingo. It's like they like they they have you whenever you're on there and you have like some people that you're connected with. Uh, it's like, you know, fist bump Emily or like fist bump, you know, whoever or give them a high five. And then you hit that button, but then it never like notifies them because I, I, I'm like, what what are you doing over there? Duolingo? Yeah, I don't know. But Emily is my wife and she's she is in Duolingo all the time. She's also a fellow linguophile i don't know what you say but like interested in other languages so she speaks spanish and she's learning norwegian uh, and i have picked up some norwegian so i'm going to give you a preview Ooh. one is yaya bjornen which is i Whoa. am the i am the bear uh <laughs> or i am bear because my nickname you know like our pet name i am the bear i am bear the other one is till krieg which is to war so i yell that a lot i'm like till krieg <laughs> Uh, which just sounds awesome. Like if you're, you know, just yell that out and then you go charging across the field. And the other one is yeah. suck that nards, which is suck it nerds. <laughs> so that one sounds similar to the English component, suck that nards. And that's my favorite one so far. So uh, I am also learning a new language. <laughs> that's that. Yeah. Norwegian weird phrases. That's, that's the move. Yeah. The, I know a Norwegian weird phrase. It's not in Norwegian, but I remember I met a Norwegian guy and he said something about, he was like, oh, what's your favorite flavor of uh, tubed fish paste? <laughs> what? Oh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't, even, I, don't, I don't know how to start answering that. I have so many questions coming from that question. Did uh, he say it they, seriously though? Was it? Yeah. Oh, he, no. It, well, it's like, a, I guess it's a thing over in Norway. It's, uh, they have like a fish paste and it comes in a tube like kind of like a toothpaste tube i don't know this is this is like this memory is probably 20 years old so i have no idea if this is if this is actually true or ever was true but i just remember him talking about uh talking about a fish paste and uh a couple other weird weird things that i was like did i dream all this did you ever answer the fish paste question? Because our, our listeners will want to know. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously haddock. What's what? What am God, I? God, yeah, jeez. Anybody who's <laughs> not a haddock fish paste guy, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're dead to me. Yep. Let's see. So yeah, so that's that's what I'm learning. But uh, that's I, I always love uh, hearing people learning about other languages too that I that are so like, you know, foreign to me. I just I that's like a it. cool one though. What are you learning throughout the whole year? It's an interesting. Yeah. Concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can take it down. Take a deep, deep breath. And we'll board the cruise. Board, <laughs> board the good news cruise. Nice. It gets me every time. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I've become a nighttime DJ after that. I'm like, <laughs> hey, everybody. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Let's all relax. Uh, yep. Anyways, Joe, uh, what's your good news? My good news uh, is sports related, and I don't know if I don't know if you watched the uh, the the game today. There was a game on today. Oh uh, man! And, oh man! So Lionel Messi won finally won his uh, the World Cup that he has been he's been aiming for for I don't even know how many years seventeen uh, years seventeen years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Argentina won the World Cup today. Uh, I, th- in my, I, I apologize if you uh, were were hoping it would go the other way. I just like hearing the 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 story where like the person who is considered widely considered the world's best uh, soccer player. I mean, the world's best in anything is kind of always an interesting topic. But like uh, the the person who's who's considered the world's best soccer player and has been for many years and who has never won a world cup. He finally at the, what is probably going to be towards the end of his career. He finally, finally got it. I thought that was good news. Yeah. He won't play another one. I mean, the next world cup yeah. in four years, he'll be 39 years old, which is essentially like a dinosaur and in, in football. Um, it was dramatic too. Like, so, uh, so soccer, I call it soccer. I'm sorry. So fo- football, football is <laughs> typically for me, 
tough to watch. I don't understand that it's it's a me problem. I don't understand the game well enough to to enjoy the nuance of people kicking a ball to each other for an for what is a hundred minutes where it's like if I'll I'll hear this feedback where it's like a zero zero game like that was incredible, <laughs> and I just think like what happened like why was it <laughs> but. One thing anyone can get behind is PKs and that this game went to penalty kicks. Yeah. And that is just wild to me to, that a whole game gets determined by that. And usually when I've seen PKs before, the goalie is essentially useless. It's just like it's either the guy misses because he yep. gets the yips or he scores. And there's like no in between. But in this particular instance, the goalie for Argentina, I think played a really big part. Oh yeah. Uh, first he off, blocked two penalty kicks, I think, right? He blocked one, but he blocked the other one with his mind. And what I mean by that is he <laughs> effed with the guy <laughs> so bad. Like he went to hit, he was like gamesmanship. He's going to bring him the ball out yeah. to the French player and hand it to him. And right at the end, just hawked the ball. Like oh, I missed that. Did you see I where so he that. just like launched it over into the box? Wow. And then the, the French player had to walk all the way over to get the ball and bring it all the way back. And it was, and then the, the whole time the uh, goal is just mugging him, just like staring at him and dancing and stuff like that. And there's like a hundred <laughs> and some thousand Argent. It seemed like only Argentinian fans in the stands too. And then the guy missed and I'm like, he blocked it with his mind. And then the goalie wow. comes up and just starts dancing. He's I just saw that dance. Yeah. I it was that, it, that goalie really, is a hero. And then he blocked a <laughs> shot like with his face. I mean, it was, it was awesome. He almost blocked a third with his foot somehow. Like he dove and kicked behind him and almost caught the ball. But my gosh, and Lionel Messi got the PK and whoever the Argentinian player was that got the last penalty kick to secure the win. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kid's got to be like a national hero now. He's really I young. I think he's like 20 yep. and then he first kicks world the cup. last, yeah. First World Cup kicks the last one to to secure Lionel Messi his World Cup win. I'm like, man, that was it was cool to watch. Everybody like collapsed on Lionel Messi and was just like, it it, it seemed like he really has the love of his teammates. And to see a hundred thousand people or whatever it was in that Qatari stadium, all just like exploding and crying it was like grown men just scream crying about argentina <laughs> winning it, it i couldn't imagine like a more electric scene in sports it was really cool yeah 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 i i don't watch a ton of sports myself but this is one of those like you know it, it was kind of like if they had lost it wasn't going to be a historic game necessarily but like if they win you know it's going to be historic and people are going to be talking about it for a long time so i think that's that's kind of what appealed to me about it which like whatever i'm not <laughs> i'm like yes yeah, i'm not yeah. a tr not a true fan but that's that's fine i just like uh moments like that because it was it was really cool and it was like a fair game you know it, it, i didn't see there was nothing bad happening no controversies like they just won um uh, yeah so that, that was always cool um yeah good news yep my good news is um not sports related. That is tough to follow because it's like, that was awesome. But there's a, a guy named, and this is courtesy of my wife, a man from Quebec. Um, his name is uh, Moses, Antoine Moses, broke the Guinness Book of World Records for the amount of trees planted in 24 hours. Whoa. Previously set in 2001 by Kenny Chaplin. He planted 23,060 trees in 24 hours, um, who was planting a tree, like 17 trees a minute for 24 hours. Wow. By himself? Well, so here's the thing. He was doing the planting. He had a support team that was feeding him the materials. Okay. So I mean, valid. Not not valid. Not right. That's take, a but, good question. But I was just like, is this guy picking up a tree? Picking up seventeen trees? A <laughs> they were himself? saplings, and he was getting basically his like he had a support team that was bringing him the materials, and he had to do the plantings. And then the cool part is, he just kept going after the twenty four hours. He just kept doing it. Uh, oh wow! So he has planted one point three million trees in his life, which is absurd. And he also is an interesting guy. They in, they interviewed him and um, he said, if anyone wants to try and break my records, I will tell you all of my secrets. I am not afraid. He's like, I want you to beat my record. Uh, so I just thought that was cool. He was planting a tree every 3.5 seconds. That is cool. That's uh, I, I like hearing that. 
The name that name sounds really familiar, but I was just looking it up and I don't I don't uh I don't think it's familiar to me for any reason. Um good for that guy. I love that too, that attitude of like, I'm not I'm not trying to like be competitive about this. I'm trying to just like get as many trees planted. So if you want to know how I do it, just just let me know and I'll tell you. Yeah, it's super cool. It's a great attitude. Yep. Uh, but that's that's my good news. Uh, that is good news. All right. Well, we are at the end of our show. So uh, everybody, uh, go to runtimerundown.com and uh, leave a leave a comment, leave a question, uh, make a suggestion for a future article. Um, we you can find us on. Uh, let's see, Evan, you named them all so quick last time, and I'm try I can't remember. Let's see, we have uh, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. You do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the other one is called. Uh, pod. Oh, <laughs> this is this is going great. <laughs> pocket casts. Pocket casts. There it. we go. Yeah, yep. uh, pocket casts. But we technically only care about the analytics out of Spotify. So if you really want to just funnel into that one, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, interesting news: Italy has now surpassed uh, our international market as the number one non -Amer non US uh, listener base. Uh, so buongiorno. Uh, <laughs> you've defeated Spain. Um, and that's pretty cool. So yeah, runtimerunner.com, Starheart, Starheart favorite it up. And Spotify, you can give us a review. You don't have a lot of reviews on Spotify, so get on that. You're slacking. Uh, Apple Podcasts, you know, if you can give us five stars and tell them that we are indeed a clean podcast and I don't swear all the time, that'd be great so I don't get delisted. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, happy holidays. That's right. Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. I thought you were going to push the... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>